Right. Oh, first slide's up. Brilliant. So have you had the second slide? Uh, reading. Reading today, uh, Jude 1, 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. So this morning, as part of our transformation series, um, Mark's asked me to talk about worship and why we worship. Um, so these are my many thoughts uh, gathered over 35 years of being a worshipper and leading worship, uh, first in the Baptist Church, then in Christ Church across the road, funny enough, um, and then since uh, 1998 when we joined the vineyard. So what I want to do this morning is to explain what I've come to understand worship to be in a vineyard context, uh, looking at barriers to worship, uh, what worship is and isn't, how we connect through worship, vineyard vision or vineyard values of worship, priority, intimacy with God, and finally, why we sing songs of love to Jesus. So that we understand why worship is so important to God. Understand who we worship and help us make a conscious decision to worship, even though it might cost us. And be willing to make... Now, some worship isn't our only worship. As Marx said in the last two weeks, worship is a lifestyle of service, of praying and of giving. For example, Paul urges us in 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 6, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all goodness and holiness. And then you can read the rest there. Because in the end, worship isn't about what we know, it's about who we know. And more importantly, for who we know. But more about that as we go through. Now, I first started leading worship across the road in Christchurch in 1985. And over the years, I've learned very slowly why we worship Jesus and why music and singing is very significant uh, in helping us be intimate in our worship as we meet together in, in whatever context it might be. Now, back in the day, before I got involved in worship, and a lot younger than I am now, I fancied myself as a bit of a rock star, uh, and I was lead singer in a band called Glass Suitcase, and we wanted to be the next U2. <laughs> um, look at all that hair. <laughs> at the time, I found it really difficult to worship in church, because, you know, I was just a fantastic musician, wasn't I? Um, and, and the worship leader at the church I was in would turn up five minutes before the service started, He'd take his guitar out of his plastic guitar case, which as you, if you're a musician, knows puts everything out of tune. Um, and he would put his guitar on and start playing without tuning it. And it would drive me nuts. And I would complain and say worship was rubbish. But when I looked around, everybody else was worshipping. So maybe it was more about my attitude than it was about his out-tuned guitar. Which brings me nicely on to my first point, which is barriers to worship. Now, the untuned guitar was my particular problem. Um, but depending on your age, your background, your musical taste, any number of things can distract you or sidetrack you from worshipping Jesus. 
Here are a few that you might identify with. Musical style is too loud, too country, too rock, tr too traditional. Or my favourite hang-up, too happy clappy. Dress code, this shouldn't be an issue in vineyards, should it? But for some coming from other churches and traditions, you know, me standing here wearing jeans and a t-shirt might be a problem. <laughs> this was an issue for a chap over at Christchurch many years ago when we used to be able to lead three songs during the service. Um, and it's quite a laid back but traditional Anglican service. And when we got home from church, I got a phone call uh, from this lovely chap saying, if you, he asked me a question, if you visited the Queen, would you wear a suit and a tie? And I said, yes, Ralph, I would. And he said, well, this morning, you were in the presence of the King of Kings and you were in jeans and a T-shirt and I find it unacceptable. Well, that was his particular hang-up. Um, the songs themselves, taste is very individual thing, isn't it? So even if we agree on style, the songs that, that push my own buttons may not have the same effect on you. And what the person in front is doing, the way they stand, lift, don't lift their arms, that funny noise they make when they get excited, or the fact that they just stand there, no emotion, no reaction, are they actually still breathing? Now, obviously, I'm being a bit flippant here to make a point, and I'm not making any judgments on anyone's likes or dislikes. But these are a few of the issues that can be a barrier to worship and that can make us think and say things like, worship didn't do it for me today. Oh, I, I couldn't get into it. I didn't like the songs. The worship today was rubbish, etc., etc. And by slipping into this trap, we make worship about us and meeting our needs rather than glorifying him. But worship isn't for us. Let's look again at Jude 1, 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and great joy, to the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, etc. You see, worship is for God and Jesus and always has been. It's not about meeting our needs for a spiritual high. It's about him, about adoring him, about glorifying him. Now, as I've been a worshipper for so long, as I've said earlier, I should know this by now, but it's so easy to forget. And I found myself falling into this trap on a visit to Northampton Vineyard one evening in 2014. I wanted to take my son to church because he was at uni university there and we had an opportunity to go. Well, when we got there and the worship started, the worship band and particularly the keyboard player had this 70s sort of Errol Brown hot chocolate vibe going on. And I had to stop myself from judging. I thought, well, what's going on here? And I just felt God say to me, these guys are worshipping. You need to worship me. And I had to make a conscious decision to worship Jesus. We all have our own particular likes and dislikes, but they all have to be laid aside because first and foremost, worship is to him and for him. It's not for us. Although when we worship, he gives back to us in amazing ways. But we'll come on to that again a bit more later. Having said all that, we also need to recognise that there is another underlying reason why these and other things can get in the way of us worshipping Jesus as he deserves. Any suggestions? Well, the answer is Satan doesn't like it. 
In fact, he detests us worshipping Jesus. He would rather we worship anything and anyone else as long as it isn't Jesus. But again, more about that later. When we became Christians, we were overcome with the wonder and knowledge that Jesus died for us and gave us, he gave up everything for us, as we discussed in our breakout groups last week. And I hope at that time worship was spontaneous. But life gets in the way, doesn't it? The pressures of life and the disappointments in serving God, getting hurt by the church and other Christians, the awareness that the old us keeps coming back to trip us up and pull us down and the attack of the enemy. You know, the world, the flesh and the devil. The battle of it all can grind us down and we can get to the point of asking, where's God in all this? I didn't sign up for this struggle. You know, God's let me down. I expected more and worship can get squeezed out and again become it becomes about us and not about him. But if we go back to Jude, this little one chapter book, after he's vented his feelings about false teachers who were destroying the church that he loves, he comes to the end and the passage we read beginning, and he worships, Jude worships God. The point here is that rather than walking away from worship when things get tough, we should actually worship all the harder. Again, Jude 1, 24, 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. God doesn't leave us on our own and desert us in hard times. No, he keeps us from stumbling. He takes us by the hand and lifts us up. And when we can't stand or walk, he carries us in his arms. There's a wonderful song by Nigel Briggs called I Will Hold On that came out just as Chris and I were going through a really difficult time with church, having been badly hurt by people we trusted. And I suspect you know, and, and you won't be able to see it on the slide here, so I'll read it out to you. My times are in your hands. I know I'll never understand, but I'll trust in you. Sometimes my heart grows cold. I'm sorry when I take control. How I'm needing you. My life is in your hands. You hold the keys to who I am and I'll trust in you. Sometimes my heart is stone. I'm sorry when I walk alone. How I'm needing you. Even when I fall, you help me stand. Even when I'm lost, you take my hand. I will hold on. I will hold on. I will hold on. Yes, I will trust in you. Sometimes this Christian life is great and exciting and fun, but sometimes it's a white knuckle ride where we barely hang on by our fingertips. And that song as well, as well as many others, helped me so much in the hard times of my Christian walk when life or church or other Christians have hurt me badly or when I've sinned and turned away from God and life seems too hard to keep going. Singing songs of love to Jesus and lifting him up has lifted me up again and again and again. And this is the bottom line, Grace Vineyard. No matter what our issues, no matter how justified our opinion might be, no matter what problems life throws at us, nothing should stop us worshipping Jesus because he is worthy and able to not only save us, but back to our reading, verse 24, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. So what worship is and isn't? 
First off, as I said earlier, worship isn't just singing in church and at conferences or in a connect group or, or even in your own home. Something John and Carol Wimber realised in the early days of the vineyard movement was that singing was not, uh, not the only way to worship God because the word worship literally means to bow down. So it's important that our bodies are involved in what our spirits are saying. In scripture, there, there is uh, this is accomplished through bowing our heads, lifting our hands, kneeling, and even lying prostrate before God. At that time, they also discovered that our worship actually blesses God, that it was for God alone and not just a vehicle of preparation for the pastor's sermon. John Wimber said of worship, worship, the act of freely giving love to God, forms and informs every activity of the Christian life. One further point to note here is that the result of our worshipping and blessing God is the fact that we are blessed by him. We don't worship God in order to get blessed, but we are blessed as we worship him. He visits his people with the power and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So worship has two aspects, communication with God through the basic means of singing and praying and giving, and communication from God through teaching and preaching the word, prophecy, exhortations, blessings, healing, deliverance, etc, etc. We lift him up and exalt him and as a result are drawn into his presence where he speaks to us and touches our lives in various, way, in various ways. So as you noted earlier, worship is a gift to God that gives back to us. William Temple offers us these insightful words. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It's the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable, and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness, which, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. So we connect with God through worship by focusing on him. We do that through adoration, praising God simply for who he is. God couldn't love you any more than he does right now. Thanksgiving, giving thanks to God for what he has done for us through Jesus. And confession, remembering that through Jesus we can come to God and confess anything and everything, remembering God couldn't love you any less than he does right now. David Peterson, quoting Nichols in Engaging with God, a Biblical Theology of Worship, Worship is the supreme and only indispensable act of the Christian church. It alone will endure like the love of God, which is expressed into heaven when all other activities of the church will have passed away. Back to our reading. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. We'll worship God forevermore. We won't be preaching sermons or teaching in connect group. We won't need to pray. We won't take communion. We won't have connect groups or Sunday services, but we will worship Jesus.
Worship will be in heaven as an eternal response to God's love. So let's get as much practice as we can right now. So let's have a quick look at uh, vineyard worship values. Accessibility, integrity, kingdom expectation, passion and intimacy. Now, Rach probably knows that I've dropped one of these to the bottom. It should be intimacy first, but I think intimacy comes out of all the others. And I want to explain that. So let's have a quick look at these values and what they mean. And I've taken these descriptions directly from the Vineyard website. And there are little videos on there uh, by Jess Dudley, who's the Vineyard Worship Training Coordinator, and explains them in a bit more detail if you'd like to go and have a look yourself. So accessibility. As worshipping communities, we extend the welcome of Jesus to people, inviting them to enter his presence. We're intentional about bringing people with us on a journey of worship, by building as many bridges, both musically and pastorally, from the style of music, the songs we sing, to create an environment for people to participate in worship. Integrity. Our desire is that the songs that we sing would match the lives that we lead. While we value the form that our worship takes, we place an even greater value on formation of our community. Our gathered times of worship are powerful places of transformation. Kingdom expectation. In worship, we welcome the king and his kingdom. We cultivate an expectation that God will speak, move, heal, deliver, and perform miracles among us as we worship. Passion. Passion is the expression of the fire of our hearts for God as we worship. Not only affirming our love for God, but we learn to love what he loves. And there's more on there. Intimacy. Intimacy with God is the primary destination for us as we worship. We draw near to God and he draws near to us. As we encounter his presence in worship, we cultivate a deep connection with him. Intimacy is not a musical style or a tone of voice. It's a posture of heart. It's a lifestyle. Now, I deliberately put intimacy last because I want to look at this a bit more. Despite what some might think, John Wimber and Vineyard didn't invent intimacy with God. But the Vineyard movement does has helped the church as a whole rediscover an intimacy in worship. The Shorter Catechism of the Westminster Confession, see, not Vineyard, says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Put it another way, our primary reason for existence is to know God and enjoy him forever. Probably the most significant lesson that the Vineyard Fellowship learned was that worship is an act of freely giving love to God. When John and Carol Wimber and others began meeting in a home in California in 1977, they gathered because they were hungry to meet God. And so the songs that they sang then were songs of expression of love and devotion to Jesus. And if you talk to other denominations, they'll tell you that Vineyard are the worship people. But the Bible is full of accounts of intimate worship. David understood this. He, as he looked after the sheep, he sung intimate songs of worship to God, playing his harp. And David worshipped before the Ark of the Covenant as it came before came into Jerusalem. Then he brought it back into Jerusalem, didn't he? The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. He understood that external obedience wasn't what God wanted. God wanted and desires an intimacy with us that results in submission 
motivated by love. The woman in Luke 7, as she cried over Jesus' feet and washed them and dried them with her hair and then poured perfume, was worshipping. Unfortunately, the situation in much of Israel's history, though, wasn't like it like that. And it can be today. Isaiah 29, 13 says this. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Our heart's desire should be to worship Jesus. We've been designed by God for this purpose. And if we don't worship him, guess what? We'll worship something else or someone else. As I said earlier, it's exactly what Satan wants. He detests us worshipping Jesus. And he'll set off, settle for us worshipping anything or anyone as long as it isn't Jesus. So how do we come to worship? Are we like those in Isaiah's day, uh, honouring God with our lips, but with our hearts and minds somewhere else, from God, worshipping other gods or other things? Or are we like David, willing to totally abandon ourselves in worship, even at the risk of making total fools of ourselves to worship him? Which brings us to my final point. Why do we sing songs of love to Jesus? Well, back to our reading. So then you've got our saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord. True worship is through worship. All worship to God is to and through Jesus, our saviour. The great Swiss reformer, theologian Karl Barth said this, the test of your doxology is your Christology. In other words, you can tell if your worship is appropriate if it's to and through Jesus. Look at the songs we sing. They're about Jesus. It's about our relationship and our intimacy with him. The fact is that we're able to worship because Jesus is the means and the mediator to God that we go through. Worship is Christology and the devil hates it. He despises worship of Jesus. When God launched his plan for a relationship with us through Jesus' birth, the devil was there. He tried to kill him by getting Herod to gut the wise men telling where Jesus was. And then he killed every child under two years old to try and get rid of Jesus. We see another attack on Jesus as he starts his ministry. The devil led Jesus to a high place and showed him an instance, in an instance, all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor if you worship me. It will all be yours. But Jesus answered, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We see the same objection to worship of Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem. Luke 19, 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But the Pharisees want to stop it. They want to shut them up. They don't like it. And they say to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus responds, I tell you the truth. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And even as Jesus is on the cross, he's worshipped by one of the criminals. And the centurion says, truly, you are the son of God. Jesus knew that worship was two and four. He knew who worship was two and four. But the devil wants to stop it, wants to crush it, and they kill Jesus because he receives worship. 
The point is the enemy wants to rob us and deviate us from worshipping Jesus. He doesn't mind if you worship anything else but him. John Wimber put it like this. Show me where you spend your time, money and energy and I will tell you what you worship. That's hard one, isn't it? Show me where you spend your time, energy and money and I'll tell you what you worship. But we worship Jesus because he's done it all for us. Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we were healed. And as gain in, in 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins on his body on the cross. Yeah. He must, he, that he would die to sin, that we would die to sin and live for righteousness. He's done it all. He's worthy of our worship. That's why we sing songs of love to Jesus. And that's why worship is so important. So in conclusion, the Shorter Catechism of the Westminster Confession says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So let's do that. Worship is the only one of our activities that will continue in heaven. So let's get as much practice as we can before we get there. It's what we're made for. There are barriers to worship because the devil despises our worship. He wants to rob us and rob God of the worship that he deserves. And if we don't worship Jesus, we're not worship something or somebody else. Worship therefore has to be a conscious decision. Irrespective of how we feel or what's happening in our lives, even though it might cost us to do so. And we sing songs of love to Jesus because he is worthy. He's done it all. Worship is to and through him, our saviour. So to finish, let's stand. And we're going to read this little passage together. And I've changed two words so that it's corporate. So let's read together. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you, everyone. It's, uh, well, are they still on YouTube? <laughs> They're back. They're back again. We're sorry about all the technical issues we had this morning. Um, now, we're going to have some questions and they'll go up here. Um, so, I'll read them out. What is your church background and how has that influenced how you view worship? What obstacles to worship do you struggle with? How has this morning's talk challenged or changed your view of what worship should be and why we sing songs of love to Jesus? And pray for each other for a deeper intimacy with Jesus in worship. Amen. <laughs>